Welcome to Comets Insider. Jason Shia here with you. It is the playoff edition. As you know, the Comets are in the playoffs. Yes, they clinched the playoff spot. And, uh, well, we had to wait to the very last day of the regular season. Not only to figure out, you know, really where they were going to, they, they knew they were going to play in the playoffs having taken a point against Cleveland on Friday, but then you go into Saturday and you're thinking, well, Saturday we'll know if we're playing Laval, we're playing Syracuse, we're playing Rochester, and then the incredible three-point game, which sees Utica win in a comeback victory. Riley Walsh gets the overtime game winner there. That vaulted the Comets into a different spot than they were earlier that day. And so what happened after that? Then he had to wait for the final game, which took place yesterday afternoon between Cleveland and Rochester, who played back-to-back games against one another. And in the end, when the, the dust settled, it came down to Utica taking on Laval. So you hate to say it this way, but essentially that that win against uh, Syracuse on Saturday night became unnecessary, if you want to say it that way, except for the fact that it was a morale boost. And keep that in mind. So, yes, in hindsight, maybe the points didn't matter, but getting that victory against a very good Syracuse team that finishes second in the North Division that is the most important thing, is a team leaving the regular season with two straight wins. I think that's a big deal. And actually, the Comets come in with two wins to end the regular season and go into Laval coming up on Wednesday, which of course means that's now the biggest game of the entire season. Now the playoffs, game one. Now keep in mind, by the way, that the playoffs, the first round, because the Comets did not get out of the 4-5 situation, they are going into a first round, which is a best of three. So the first to win two games is going to take it. Now, game one is Wednesday. Game one, 7 o'clock, Wednesday in Laval, 645 pregame show for that game. We'll have analysis. We'll have the breakdown, the pregame show with myself and Nick Ailes. And then the broadcast begins, and it's going to be all hands on deck. And we're going to break down a little bit now of how that season series looked. And we're also going to have a conversation later on in this broadcast with Michael Lear, who does home radio for us on, on 94.9 K-Rock when I'm on television. And Michael and I break down who we think our best performers were throughout the season. We had to record it before the playoffs. We kind of knew we were going into, but we, we just gave our awards. We tipped our hats to several really, really key players on the team all season long. And then we talked to Josh Philman. A kid who's, who's just, I think, 19 years old, just turned pro, scored his first ever pro goal, comes in from the Western Hockey League. So you're thinking, what's the experience like of a 19-year-old kid coming into pro hockey? That's the question, right? And so he tells us what it's like moving from the junior ranks of hockey in Canada to the pro ranks here in the American Hockey League. He seems like a very thoughtful and intelligent kid, and it was great to sit down with him. So you'll hear that interview in his entirety coming up on Comets Insider. I want to break down here of what the first three games were like uh, against Laval so we can have a little bit of a preview against the Laval Rocket. Now, the first three games took place in Utica and the latter three games took place in Laval. And unfortunately for Utica, the series uh, during the season did not really go their way. But I also want to say this too. It doesn't matter what the season series did. 
It doesn't matter how many points you acquired during the regular season. The NHL Boston Bruins are going to go into the playoffs having a records-breaking season. That doesn't matter. The the past does not win you games in the future, so keep that in mind. But we'll just break it down. They first met on the 11th of October. That game was an overtime game, so they have played several overtime games against them, and that overtime game was a 5-4 decision, and Utica was on the short end of it in a 5-4 defeat back home on the 11th, that being a Friday night at the odd. Then 11-30, November 3rd, they would meet again in Utica. This game would also end in overtime in a 3-2 decision in which the Laval Rocket won that game. So they were 2-0 on the season against the Comets. The Comets were 0-0-1 against them at that point. And the third game of the season series of six games total came on the 14th of December. And this one took place in Utica as well. And that game saw the uh, Comets lose by a score of 5-2. to two, So a little bit more lopsided there. So keep that in mind. But I want to go over now as we will go over the latter three games in a moment here. But we got to turn our attention to some of the biggest goals of the weekend, don't we? I think some huge goals took place. And one guy who kind of broke out of nowhere is Xavier Perron, who has stepped up in that game on Wednesday and deposited two goals against uh, Syracuse. And you know what? You need depth of scoring. That's why we're highlighting Xavier Perron's goal here. You need depth. You need players stepping in from the from the, uh, from the the ECHL to come up and to contribute offensively. And he did that in that game on Wednesday against Syracuse. Shimon Nimitz to Rowdy Walsh. Two right shot defensemen on the power play. Walsh, Perron, he's in. Shoots, he scores! spot and the Comets are within one with 80 seconds left to go in the first period that's a big goal give them some life as they head in now to the last 80 seconds of this period right over the shoulder and in Great for uh, Xavier Perron to get things going in that game. And again, like we said, you need guys to step in. You need guys to come into the lineup and play well for you. It doesn't matter where they are in the lineup. If everyone's contributing offensively, it ends up being a really big deal. Well, later on in that game, uh, the Comets, after the Perron goal, they got on the board. They got a little closer there. They had been uh, down by a score of 2 nothing. Reifers scored to make it 3-1. They would head into the third period and try to mount a little bit of comeback. But one player we should isolate as well is Jace Howerlick, who ended the season, I think, pretty well. He's finally healthy, playing again. Howard scored that game and uh, really helped the Comets uh, get some, again, some depth of offense for Utica. This came on Wednesday night. Jace Howard scoring a goal for Utica. Picked up and moved here by the Comets in the entry. Tice Thompson left it. Schmelzer dragged it back to Nemitz now. Nemitz on the left wing to the point. Now on the right side. Fired! They score! <laughs> They needed that one. And a beautiful passing play is capitalized down the right side. Jace Howerlick finds the back of the net. The Comets are down by three with 7.41 to go. Bringing some life and energy to the building. 
And I want to well, you keep something in mind here. The Comets went into that game and they were down, but they, they have this way about them that they continue to mount comebacks in games. And it's something that they do. And it's something they did on Saturday night that ended up winning them a game. Here's a guy who contributes every night, whether it's a block shot or a good pass or a goal or a hardworking play. Ryan Schmelzer got them even closer in that game on Wednesday night. And Schmelzer's captaincy will obviously play a huge role going forward. Shot towards, like I say, say, once, twice. He got pushed in the net. There's going to be a penalty. It's going against Syracuse. Like I say, still down. Scores! They're within one. Like I say, thought the penalty was going against Utica. He laid prone on the ice, and the puck was thrown in his direction. And the yeah, sorry to cut it off short there, but that's exactly right. Legacy didn't realize it. But anyways, the Comets would find more than a few times to beat him later on. Well, let's highlight one more thing here because it came on the next game, and it was the game winner and the goal that put the Comets into the playoffs, Shimon Nemitz, on Friday night at the Adirondack Bank Center against Cleveland. Brought in by Payne, then Butler shooting into traffic. Tyler Watherspoon selflessly blocks that one. Comets the other way. Nemitz let it go. It's gone! Well, he may not get an assist, but Tyler Watherspoon is the reason that puck went in the back of the net. Yeah, Watherspoon's goal there, the difference. Well, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Michael Lear. We're going to come back with Josh Philman. We have those interviews coming up for you. And then our final breakdown heading into the playoffs on 94.9 K-Rock here on Comets Insider. We'll come back after this. Welcome back on 94.9 K-Rock. Jason Shia, happy to be joined by Mr. Michael Lear. No one better to talk to you about the Utica Comets. The tricky part is you and I are recording this before we know if we're in or out of the playoffs. This is how the way these segments work. <laughs> I know. So let's just talk. take a step back and kind of talk about the team as a whole. Maybe we could do some informal awards, you and I. You want to try something sure, like that? Yeah. Uh, if we don't have a roster in front of me, which I should If I don't know the team by now, there are far bigger problems. But um, let's just, you know, if you want to pick... Let's start from the back end, and we'll go forward from there. If you had to pick a, a guy in the in the goal that you thought in the net was probably the most valuable goaltender that the team has had all year, the difference is like between this year and last year, where I think there was more of a split between Schmidt and Dawes. It seems like they weren't really in a pair for it, it felt like a long time. One was hurt, one was up, one was up, the other one's hurt. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on the, the top-tier goalie for this team that's led the way? I guess I would say if I had to pick an MVP as far as a goalie, I'd go with Akira Schmid, maybe not only because of the way he plays. He's obviously a great goaltender, but because of when Schmid is here, it feels like the team's together. Yeah. And maybe that's worked out because when Schmid's here, so has Foot and Holtz and, and a few other guys happen to be here at that same time. But I don't know if there's been a time throughout the year that Akira Schmid was on this roster. It didn't feel like everybody was together. When he's here... We got our team, you know, and right. and that's for a handful of different reasons. But Nico's obviously been spectacular as well, so you could probably go with either one. I think that's why in the team awards they both won different MVP awards. Um, yeah. So really, really been impressed with both of them, obviously. It's been cool to see the two of them who came in last year as, I mean, kids, <laughs> very, very young prospects that are now steady goalies at the professional level. 
What's interesting to me is that Nico Dawes, I think, has played his best hockey down the stretch where he was finding his game as the season wore on. But Akira Schmidt, I think, played his best hockey in the NHL. I don't think his numbers are reflecting in the American League of what he's capable of, but in the NHL this year, he's really shined. And uh, so I think you make uh, the right pick there. Let's go with the back end. Um, coming in, Shimo Nemitz was uh, second overall pick. There were a lot of expectations. He's 18 years old to start the season. And then if they've had the, – the pairings have pretty much stayed the same. I think, you know, he's been out there with Watherspoon the entire year pretty much. Russo, uh, you know, obviously a steadying force back there. Riley Walsh has played his best hockey down the stretch. If you had to tip your your hat to one of the defensemen, do you have anyone you want to pick? I think I would go with Riley Walsh just because I, I like watching a defenseman that can contribute – night in and night out on the offensive end. Um, if I was going to pick a guy defensively that might be the unsung hero, Jeremy Grolo's been so steady as far as plus minus. He's led the team in plus minus most of the year, and um, I think that's been pretty impressive. But Walsh would be my pick for defensive MVP just because this team hasn't always had the most scoring. They haven't always had a great depth as far as one guy that's lighting it up throughout the entire year. You know, you have Graham Clark, and his stats look really good, but... Right. The only way to create offense is for all five guys to be on the same page. And Riley Walsh, when he's out there, you know this team has a chance to score. Boy, you know, when he gets the motor going and the legs going and the lateral movement going, it is really impressive. And I've had numerous scouts tell me that he he can quarterback an NHL power play. But, uh, you know, to the Jeremy Grolo point, yeah, you're spot on. I was going to say him as an unsung hero. Plus 14 as we talk, so a big weekend. But if you had to ask random fans who leads the team in plus minus you probably wouldn't hear jeremy Grolo's name but there he is he reminds me of a kid i had years ago roland McEwen, who would end the year at plus 25 plus 30 and and thinking boy i didn't really you know you didn't see him too much that's because he was always in the perfect spot making a break beautiful uh, breakout pass and was also sound defensively let's go with best defensive forward of the team if you want to pick a guy who was responsible in all three zones and someone who can contribute offensively as well as play well in the defensive zone who would you give our team's version of what is the selkie trophy I would go with Joe Gambardella as far as being a 200-foot guy that is so hard to play against. When you know, What's most impressive, what I've, I think one of the coaches or players said, how heavy his stick is, and I started watching that. When you go into a corner with Joe Gambardella, Joe Gambardella wins that battle yeah. nine times out of ten. He's so hard to get the puck from, and that could just be pinning it up against the boards in the D zone, letting your D get open to start a breakout on the other side or, or anything like that. I think... As far as being able to contribute at both ends of the ice, just be really effective. And again, he doesn't show up the same way hockey fans might think they do, uh, or th- think you want a forward to show up. But he's always consistent and really good at both ends. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Nolan Foot is the guy. No, but maybe not necessarily known for the defensive side. But does anybody block more shots than Nolan Foot? <laughs> I don't think so. Not, mean, does anyone block harder shots? No, than Nolan it's not like, yeah, it's just a shot blocking. But like yeah. pucks, we go holy oh, moly geez. off the off the ankle, off yeah. the laces. He's on the PK. Obviously, he's on the power play. He's second in team in goals at the time of recording this. So I I think Nolan Foot. It's not pretty with Nolan Foot. That's the other thing too. Is he doesn't play an artistic game. He's a a, a more of a bull, and it, it just kind of forceful in the way he. He puts pucks in nets and the way he gets things done. But sometimes it doesn't always have to be pretty. And, and, he, and he's got a couple call-ups this year to the NHL for a good reason. Um, all right, we'll give our Rocket Richard trophy out then. It would be you know the team's best goal scorer, but this one's pretty obvious. It's got to be Graham Clark. Yeah, and what's most impressive about Graham's progression is you look at last year compared to this year, and he'll be a guy that in three or four years on paper it's like, 
Well, yep, then he had 24 points in the American League. Oh, then he had close to 60, or he could right. get to 60 by the right. time the regular season's over. Just what an outstanding jump for him offensively. You know, I, I don't know if it was seeing guys like Chase DeLeo, Holtz, and Zetterlin leave and saying someone's got to score all the goals this year, someone's got to be that offensive guy, or if something just clicked in the way he sees the game skill-wise. I can't say there's a guy that works hard and harder than he does when uh, as actually one of the Utica City FC players pointed to Clark on the ice at, at a practice at the Utica University Nexus Center and it was just Graham Clark and one of the coaches and he said who is this guy why is he always out here I'm like yeah. I, I don't know I mean he's always putting in extra work and the optional days and the the skating coach and all of that it's always Graham Clark's the last one out there yeah, it does say something about his work ethic. I mean, no, one, no one ever questions how hard he works, but I always say, you know, what are you working towards? But clearly, he's he's worked towards becoming a dominant forward on this team and a go-to guy that uh, Kevin E will tap on the shoulder and say, hey, kid, we need, we need you to facilitate offense. I've also been impressed with his ability to deliver pucks to his teammates in the last couple of weeks. And on the power play, you'd think he'd be a, like a one-timer guy, but he's not. He's really feeding pucks from the seam. Uh, he, I think he's on his strong side, which which he's trying to get, you know, get uh, Alex Holtz going in that Ovechkin spot, and when they're playing about in the power play. But it just goes to show you that not many guys can make that skilled play, and he's he's one of the guys that can do it. You know, the, the playoffs are are the most exciting time in all of hockey, and it really does lend itself to. The way this team has played, they've played so many close games. They've played so many overtimes, and they've gone to shootouts numerous times. Yeah, they've had some losses here where they've taken on the chin, but for the most part, it feels like they're always involved in close games. Even that game against Rochester last week, you lose the game 5-1 to one in regulation, but it was 1-1 going in the third period, and so you're still hanging on to every shot and every save and every uh, every play that's made. Yeah, and in the, in the NHL, you can look at the playoffs and kind of draw the roadmap to the Stanley Cup final yeah. many years. yeah. In the AHL, you can't do that, and no. that what, that's what makes it so awesome. Last year, you're the one seed. Everybody thinks you're going to just walk through. Right. Nope, that's not what happens. And this year, at the end of the day, on paper, you look like just another one of the teams, but what people don't see is those tight games that you've come out and win. You've learned how hard it is to finish a game, how hard it is to close out a tight game. And right. the ones that have been wins, hey, you learned how to do it. The ones that have been losses, you learned it's not going to be easy. And so, that's what these guys have. When Cleveland won the Cup in, I think, 2017, I can't remember the exact year. I remember at, they were not a dominant team that year. They kind of just got in the playoffs, and then they lost, oh, I think, only three games in the postseason in route to winning the Calder Cup in overtime against Hershey. So they were unexpected. Nobody said, oh, that's the team. But then when I was part of that 2019 Calder Cup where I won it single-handedly myself. But the point, the point is that that was a team where you go, yep, start to finish. They were the best team, and they ran the playoffs. But you don't – there's no – there isn't a roadmap. You don't know who's going to do what in the playoffs in the American League. It's, you need it. the NHL team has to send you players or you have to, injuries. You're hitting from both sides, both the NHL team if they're in their playoffs and also uh, who gets sent down if they're not in the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the Wild West, and that's the best yeah. part about it. The yeah. playoffs are so, so much fun, and literally anything can happen. It's so hard when people are asking, oh, how, how's the team this year? How are you going to do? Well – no Once idea. you get in, we'll, yeah, we'll find, find out. out. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. We'll find out. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I know you got a lot of stuff going on, but we appreciate it. And we'll be right back on 94.9 K-Rock. Welcome back on 94.9 K-Rock. Jason Shia along with you, joined by Comets Ford, Mr. Josh Philman. Josh, how are you feeling, man? Good, thanks. It's been uh, a good adjustment to pro hockey so far. It, it's different than, I mean, you know, you're talking about the best junior level in, in the world and, and playing in the Western Hockey League, you know. 
those kids coming out of there playing the, the NHL and go to play a pro, but it's still a gap between playing against, you know, 16, 17-year-olds coming into a league. Tyler Rothersman, your team is 30 years old. Robbie Russo is 30 years old. That's a big difference. Yeah, everything is just handled a little bit differently. Um, every a lot of little things from in your day to day life that that change, and you just gotta you know mature a little faster than most kids do, I guess. Um, and yeah, use uh, use your support system. So um, there's lots of like you said, older guys, veteran guys that I can learn from one of my time here. So just trying to soak in as much information as I can. How excited were you? to get this show on the road because I mean you're drafted couple what drafted 2021? Uh no, I got uh last draft so 2022. Oh, okay, so you're 18? Uh 18 I just turned 19. Okay, so but you're still you're drafted you want to play pro. I mean, everybody wants to play pro hockey, right? Yeah. So how excited were you when the transition was finally coming, was approaching and now you get in you get into a game. I got to say you look like you fit in right away. I know maybe maybe a lot of adrenaline going on too, but you must have been excited this thing was finally coming. Yeah, super excited. Um yeah, I tried not to just get caught up in the moment and just enjoy it out there. Um, yeah, that, that first game, the first shift, just getting the nerves out. Right. Um, it was all just, like, super exciting. I almost didn't even know what to think. <laughs> How about uh, the atmosphere? I don't know where you – where did you play in the Western League, tell me? Swift Current in so, Saskatchewan. Yeah, you could tell me anything. I mean, I know the names of the cities. I have no idea what Swift, Swift Current is like. What's it like? What city? Is it a big city? Uh, no, no, really there's small. no way it's a big city. Yet. Yeah, that's about uh, 17,000 people, I think. Oh, wow. So it's even it's, smaller than this city. Yeah, it's almost like a town. Do they get people They get people in the building to watch yeah, you play? Yeah, it's a smaller building. There's only, it only seats about 3,000 at its max. Okay. So um, it can get pretty loud in there. Um, but obviously, you know, this is a pretty big arena. Um, <laughs> it's big in comparison to that, maybe. So, yeah, like this, we would get more fans here than we would have had any any given day in, in junior. Okay, okay. And Brandon has, uh, I mean, sorry, the Western League, rather, has the worst travel yeah. in the entire, like maybe the, maybe everywhere, it doesn't matter what league. Yeah. We go to Cleveland at six hours, and I have a real hard time with that. But that's nothing. That's like nothing for you guys, right? Yeah, well, there's there's long ones. Um, honestly, Swift Current's got some of the best travel amongst the WHL. Really? Just because it's really central. It's okay. basically, um, you know, an hour from the Saskatchewan-Alberta border-ish. Okay. Um, so, you know, Regina's two hours. Oh, that's not um, bad. Moose Jaws, an hour 45, and then Medicine Hats, two hours the other way. Um, the ones that suck are just driving four hours and playing the same day. Yeah, you drive, yeah. And that's, yeah, um, yeah Prince Albert and Lethbridge, and we play Lethbridge like eight times a year or so. And you do four hours, a uh, day of game. Yeah. And you drive back. Yeah, so, we so just you're home back. at four in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, we and, and we are. In the, you're not. Gonna, I don't hope you're not going to be in the coast today. <laughs> but in the ECHL, we do it all the time. Yeah, we play, we, we play drive four hours, four and a half hours, <laughs> stuck in traffic, show up to the game late. Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's, it's not. It's not fun. No. Guys are stretching in the street. Yeah, because they, you don't want to do it in a traffic jam. Those days are hopefully long gone. But you'll you play you play this game long enough, you'll have weird stories regardless. Exactly. Well said. So you you just told me you and Isaac Polder play together. Yeah. And how much? Uh, did you talk to him before coming here? Yes, I did. I actually called him. Um, so I found out I was going to come here once my junior season wrapped up. And on my drive, I went from Swift Current back to my hometown, Winnipeg. And then I ended up flying out of there. Okay. But on my drive home uh, from Swift Current to Winnipeg, I gave Isaac a call. And we just kind of chatted briefly about, you know, what to expect coming in, what the practices are like, yeah. um, your day-to-day routines, yeah. you know, who else is staying at the same hotel, that sort of thing. Gave me a bit of a rundown on 
what the next couple weeks are going to look like for me. What was uh, what's Isaac like? Uh, we talked him up here. He's a super nice kid. I think, by the way, he made big strides as a goaltender. Um, what was he like in junior? Was he have the same sort of layback style that he is now? I don't really know him that well, but he seems pretty reserved. Maybe he's a crazy person. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yes and no. Um, definitely less of a, you know, just in the background kind of guy. Um, you know, he was our team MVP, I think, three years in a row. Really? So, and he didn't wear the letter, but if I'm being honest, you know, he was our captain in really? his overage season. Wow, okay. Um, so just a different style of leadership. Um, yeah, he's extremely detailed. You know how goalies are. Sure. Um, so he's a little bit more of a, you know, like take charge kind of guy um, when I played with him back then. So it was good. I've seen a couple different sides of him. That's interesting. Yeah, now, yeah, I always find that funny, too, because when you're playing in junior and you're, maybe you're an overage guy, but you're the big dog. Like, it's your show, yeah. right? And then you come to pro hockey and you're not even close to that. You're the lowest rung. You're picking up pucks. You're doing all the stuff that, the, that you made the, 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 the rocks do earlier in your career, too. Yeah, so. it's different. It's one of the things, one of many things that it's just different. What about your, tell me about your family. I'm sure they're excited about this opportunity. Did your dad play hockey? Uh, just recreational. Yeah, yeah, not not anything, you know, huge. Um, he was a really good, really good athlete, though. He played okay. um, university basketball for the oh, University wow. of Manitoba. Okay. And so he was like an all-Canadian point guard for couple years there. Is he tall? Is he gets height? Yeah, a bit taller than me. He's about 6'3". Okay, all right. Um, which, honestly, is small for a basketball player. Yeah, um, I know nothing about Isn't there one position that isn't typically very tall, though? That would be a point guard. Point guard? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he was just really athletic, kind of played every sport growing up. And then my oldest brother um, played baseball at a really high level. Okay. Um, played out in, like, Canada West um, for Thompson Rivers University in uh, Kamloops, BC, and then he went and played in professional in London, Ontario, a couple summers ago. And uh, mom was uh, driving you everywhere, or what? Yeah, <laughs> she uh-huh. she was taking care of me. I bet, man. You know, any anybody who makes it to this point, you have to have both parents pulling the rope. But you know, in particular, moms are driving you at five in the morning, whatever, to practice. It's, yeah, yeah, a couple tough tough drives for her for sure. But no, she did a great job taking care of me and just being supportive. Both of them did. Who, what was what, what are your conversations with when you're done with the game? Is it to dad first? Do you, do you text, call? What do you do? Uh, honestly, it's really random. Um, sometimes, you know, if if they want to say something to me, you know, just like, good game, you know, you worked hard, great team win, congratulations on the win, that sort of thing. So your dad um, doesn't, like, break down your game for you? Like, hey, no, second period, you should have done this? No, and if so, it's just, like, little things that we would talk about on the phone later. I gotcha, okay. Um, but, no, he's not... He's not just in my ear right away, really? breathing down my throat. <laughs> um, but they definitely care a lot and have been heavily involved in, in like, coaching me okay. along the way. And obviously, like, my dad's still probably my biggest hockey influence coaching person yeah. in my life. Okay. Um, Did he coach you when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah, up until I think I was 10 or 11. I always find it funny, like, some dads have different approaches or, or you can tell talking to some pl- talking to players what their dads were like and who who motivates them and yeah. it doesn't take long you know it was fine like you're trying to prove yourself to your dad that you're good enough <laughs> you're, you could finish a game minus seven and your mom's like oh honey yeah. you're great it doesn't matter but yeah. kids boys are always trying to prove themselves to their dad and I think it, a lot of it is what drives certain athletes to be great is the constant striving to prove to somebody that you're good enough yeah. I don't know if that's the case. You can tell when you talk to some players. It's still, no matter how how 
how far they get along the way, still the connection to their dad trying to prove that they're a good enough hockey player. It's, it's interesting, the psychological part of it. But what... Um, is your now you're like adjusting to you, you were billeted in, in uh, so now you're obviously you're by yourself now you have to kind of yeah. figure things out how easy is it going to be or is has it been you don't even get to make your own food now you're in a hotel yeah I'm in a hotel there's only it's not like I've fully been thrown living on my living right. on my own at me right um, I think I could for sure do it or even like with a, a, a roommate um, I like to think that my my handyman skills around the house would be pretty good. <laughs> That's what you bring uh, to the table? Well, if you're willing to fix something? Well, I think I can just kind of find my way through everything. I'm pretty resourceful. I oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. How many hockey players are resourceful? Yeah. I can I, name a few down there that are not resourceful <laughs> at all. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how much I can contribute in the kitchen. But Have you cooked before for yourself? Yeah, like I can cook a meal here and there, but I don't like every day cook for myself or anything. Okay. Because I may... I, I cook. I have my meals, five meals a day. They're all all I do. All meal planning, and I didn't. It's just that's all discipline, though. Yeah. It's really, really. I am probably. I would never feed anyone the food that I make because I don't know what I'm doing really. Even though I've cooking for 20 years, whatever it is, but yeah. but I do make it to the point where I won't kill myself if I eat it, and it's everything that I need. Yeah. You know, and I take food with me on the road. I'm like pretty meticulous about that stuff. Yeah, and that's all that matters. Just making sure that you're disciplined enough to. Be cooking your meals and washing dishes and making sure it's all but there and healthy. The thing about pro hockey too is, and I know I know you realize this, but it's like a full time job all the time now. There's no like, well, I'm in high school, so I'm doing this and I'm pr- playing along the way. Now it's your job, and you really can't. Even though you practice and you go home and you'll have time off, you can't go home and then just like be lazy or eat like you know not eat well. Yeah, because it will affect your performance. And this is your job. This is what you do. As a pro athlete, you can't take your foot off the gas. Yeah, exactly, and that's part of the difference, I guess. Um, once you step up a level, is just your whole life kind of changes in terms of everything is um, everything you do is to make sure that you can perform well on the ice. Yeah, yeah. How about t- take us to your goal, Graham Clark? Nice play, shot on net. Yeah. You're right there on the left side. How yeah, how to feel? Super exciting. Uh, I knew you were, it was, you were fired up. I was fired up. I knew it was coming. Um, Maybe that's still a little bit of my, you know, I'm the man in junior, but I just felt like there's only so many games I can play before I got one. Yeah, no, Uh, I mean, that was, it was to put yourself in that spot and you could see it. You you read that well. I think you knew exactly what he was going to do. Yeah. And you were well placed for for the rebound there. I don't know who lost you on the Rochester side of it. Was it Rochester? Yeah, it was Uh, somebody down low. Yeah, but either way, though, right spot, you know, and and put that in. Tell me, what is your game? What do you... When someone says, you know, what characteristics, what attributes do you bring? You know, if we're going to name Shimo Nemitz, I can tell you, like, what things he really brings to the game every night. Graham Clark, same thing. What about you? What would you say about yourself? Yeah, I think thus far through my career, it's just that offense of intelligence and creativity um, and then ability to to skate well and kind of get lost from guys. Um, I mean, like you saw in that goal, I kind of ended up just getting lost on the backside and finding my way to open ice in the slot. Um, and I think that's something that you can expect more of down the road is just finding those open areas and, and being a trigger man. How about um, one thing? You know, you're 6'2". Yeah. And you're 165 pounds? Hundreds, yeah, yeah, soaking wet. Okay, so what are we? What are you doing there? To my, I think it was your first game out there. And, I, and you know it's very easy to tell because you're not very you're not very big yet. But yeah. that's got to be. A, I'm sure you're going in the summer. You're like I got to get. Yeah, trying all the time. I just eating and working out as much as you can and yeah. doing whatever your body allows it to happen. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I imagine you could you could easily come in next season at 175 if you wanted to. Yeah, I, well, I you have a hard time gaining weight. Yeah, yeah, same with yeah. Me, same as me. Yeah. But. So well, I guess we'll see, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough. The the hardest thing because I was always a thin guy. The hardest thing for me was eating when you're not hungry. Yeah, you, you know, it's again like I have my meals that come every three hours, but I'm not hungry every three hours. Exactly, it's and more just like you said, discipline and hundred percent. Um, you almost have to get yourself build habits where like yes. even when you're not hungry, you're just always kind of chewing something. Yeah, you're eating. Yeah, it's true, and you got to. Otherwise, it just won't happen because it's like you're active. You're not sitting around all the time. So that requires you to have a caloric surplus, which means you're burning a lot of calories anyways. And if mm-hmm. you don't eat enough, you yeah. go the other way. Yeah. And that's just with the whole discipline thing. Like sometimes it's easy to get streaky. Um, and there's times where it's like you're always eating and you're making sure that you're going back for seconds. And then there's times where it's right. like, oh, I'm full. I don't need anymore. Right, right, right. How about I weigh my food, too? That's the other thing I do. I weigh every meal, which means you if I ate only according to how hungry I was, you'd fluctuate so much. But that's just because I'm, I'm, I take it to the next level. But tell me, growing up, you, you, were, you grew up in Winnipeg. So was there even a hockey team when you were growing up in Winnipeg, the NHL team? When did the yes. Winnipeg Jets come back? Yeah, they well. I feel like it came back like in 2013, maybe 14, something like that. Either way, like I was, um, you didn't grow up a Leafs fan. No, no, yeah. I grew up like a Thrashers or a Jets. Oh, okay, fan. okay, okay. Because they still had like the old Jets that were in Phoenix, right? And then right. they were in Atlanta for a little bit, and then they came to Winnipeg. And I was still like young, so who was your uh, who was the guy that you thought I want to play like this guy? Honestly, there wasn't really a specific guy. Really? Like, I just cheered for the team. I liked them all. Okay. Um, you know, Shifley's a great player. Yeah. Wheeler had a, has had a phenomenal career. Kyle Connors, um, unbelievable. Kyle Connors, so a guy cool. now that, like, I try and, like, he does such a good job. He can score so many different ways. I remember watching him in the, in the American League because I watched him as a rookie, watched him play in Manitoba in that building. I loved calling games in that building. And I'm watching this kid, and I'm, I'm thinking, he's a surefire NHL. Like, yeah. I'm not surprised in the least. And I think he gets he doesn't get anywhere near the credit that he deserves for being the hockey player that he is. And I think yeah. it's because he plays in Winnipeg. Yeah, there would be part of that. And it's starting to come a little bit more. Like, I mean, I think he was an all-star last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of broke out when, I, what did he score, 40-something goals? Yeah, something. I mean, you don't do that by accident. Yeah. Um, but, no, and he he's a guy that's kind of – had would have had similar like physical challenges as me as well. So to just kind of find his way as a scorer at the pro hockey level is pretty impressive to what, watch. Was there any any thought in your mind that you would play um, you would play D one and not play Western League hockey? You, I'm sure you had offers. Yeah, a little bit. Um, not it. It was a thought, but you the didn't more consider I, it. The more well, I considered it. Just the more and more I thought about it, and once the decision came down to it. I leaned way more towards a junior route, especially yeah. just being from Winnipeg. Like it's there's not a ton of good junior A hockey around the area, okay. so I would have had to move away at a fairly young age and probably hop two, three teams before I even got to college. Is that right? Really? Yeah, just because you know the Alberta Junior League and the BCHL and then yeah, the, the USHL right, right. are kind of what produces most of yeah. the the yeah. good Division One players. Yeah, like nobody goes to good D1 program out of the MJ unless you're like a stud. Is it still tier one? Yeah, it's tier one. It's just not a high not, level yeah. tier one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like there's only basically like one or two teams that consistently send guys to good junior programs. Okay. All right. And But you went from there to you were drafted in the Western League. 
to to go. Then that's so you okay. I see what you're saying. Okay, all right. And then obviously the Devils drafted you out of the Western League. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a feeling that where were you when you found out it was coming? What round were you drafted in? Six, six. Yeah. What, where did you? Were you watching? Were someone? I was watching. Um, I didn't go to the draft, but I just had kind of I, I hang out with some of my close friends and family at my okay. cabin. Okay. So honestly, it was probably the best place I could have been. Yeah. Um, especially because it was a little bit of like a stressful day for a period. Sure, sure, sure. And so I was kind of just able to be by myself. I want to be by myself. I yeah, had my close yeah. friends and family. Um, either way, I knew it was going to be just kind of a fun day, a good experience. Um, how did you actually, how did you literally find out? Were you staring at a TV? Okay, funny thing. I was in the bathroom. <laughs> I, got, I got drafted at TV timeout. Oh, man, no way. So I, oh, like, okay. my phone started blowing up. Oh, it's hilarious. And I was going to the washroom. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's going on? And, like, something must have happened. So I checked my phone. Congrats, kid. Oh, okay, thanks. That's awesome. Okay, so you found it in the bathroom. Well, that's one story, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But it's cool to be around uh, friends and family at that time, Yeah, too. exactly. I kind of chose the close people that are really close to me. Did you uh, did you interview with other NHL team, any NHL teams around that time? Did they interview you just to, yeah, to know I, you? Yeah, I went to the Combine, so okay. um, I interviewed with... Was, did it, did Jersey been. interview you? Uh, they interviewed me before the combine. Okay, they, not there actually, but I had a, I had talked to them, so I had a feeling it could have been them. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And then obviously, it's it's worked out. Yeah, exactly. And it's now, been a great opportunity. and now you're here as a pro hockey player, and and this is just the beginning of a what I'm sure will be a pretty cool journey. Well, just tell us about this team right now. I don't have much time left, but. This team every day is like a playoff. It's you're coming into a situation that's very unlike last year. Maybe you guys told you, but last year they clinched weeks in advance, and there was sort of this malaise in the team, like you're just kind of waiting for the playoffs. And now you're here. Every game is like a big deal. How does it feel? Yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, just the energy around the room and around the rink is pretty crazy. Um, like you said, like it's already playoffs, right? Um, and I mean, I had been through this once already this year in the sense that like. Um, the setup for playoffs or even trying to make the playoffs. It was like that, you know, 10-game span yeah. that they're all really meaningful. Right. So it's just an exciting time of year. And and have you, um, I mean, is the, is, what's the energy like down there before games? Is it pretty, I would imagine, pretty, pretty high? Pretty high and, and quite focused. Uh, like, yeah, everybody, like you said, it's their job. So yeah. um, this is the first time I've been in a situation where guys are like, fighting to earn another contract or oh, right, and, right like exactly. i've never been around that right so um yeah certain like some guys are just really really dialed more than i've ever seen personally that's awesome yeah. well i we can't wait to see what happens here in the last couple of games i'm so happy i got to call your first ever pro goal thank you for doing this very thoughtful kid and we'll uh, we'll have you back when uh, the future uh, allows it awesome thank you very much we'll be right back after this Welcome back on 94.9 K-Rock here on Comets Insider. Jason Shia along with you. And, you know, I just, if you listen to that Josh Philman interview, you hear a kid who, again, is very, very thoughtful and, and is, is, I think, really hungry to grasp a challenge that's in front of him uh, to get things going on the, on the pro side of things in his career. There is a big difference between going into junior hockey and then going into professional hockey, as he talked about, when you're stepping in the locker room and your teammates have children. <laughs> when you are playing in junior hockey in the Canadian leagues, you are a child, essentially. You're 16 years old, maybe when you start there, 17 years old, and it's a whole new experience. And, uh, and you grow up in a very, very quick amount of time. 
and all of a sudden, as he told you in that interview, you're 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 in the locker room with guys who are fighting for contracts, who are doing this for a living, who play the game to feed a family, and that's a very very different mindset than being a youngster in Tier One Junior in Canada. So I think that it's something to uh, to consider here, and uh, you know you, you can just hear it in his voice how how interested he is in just getting better and learning from the players around him. So I thought that was interesting. Not that he's stepping into an older room. There are some older players, as you know, but of course you have players who are young too. Graham Clark is relatively young. Shimo Nemitz is also the same age as him. They were drafted in the same year, so there are some younger players who are around as well to kind of acclimate him uh, to the uh, to the way things are done in pro hockey. And it's different. It's different because it's a full-time thing. You're not going to high school. You're not going to school. You're just doing this. This is all you're doing is trying to be a better athlete each and every night on the ice and in practice. So uh, that's uh, when it turns into a business, it's a very, very different experience for both the athletes, the coaches, and everybody around. So, um, But let's quickly now shift our focus. We talked about this in the first segment. The first three games played against Laval, those first three were in Utica on the 11th of November, the 30th of November, the 14th of December. They were overtime loss, overtime loss, and a regulation loss. So the comments out of a possible six points ended up taking two, but essentially three losses against Laval. And then they'd head into Laval for the last three games of the regular season. And the games would take place on the 11th of February, the 17th and 18th of March. So they did play back-to-back games against Laval uh, in that uh, last um the, the penultimate and uh, month of the season, really, in, in if you go back all the way to March. So in that March situation there that's i think the most interesting to me because they did lose that game on the 11th of uh, february we can forget about that game that 6-2 defeat in laval that was a game where very very quick shorthanded goals happened against utica and i think it was about nine seconds uh you know that building was rocking and they use that building to their advantage and it will be sold out on wednesday it'll be very loud in that building as well so the comets will have to be a, a, accustomed to that but we expect our building in utica to be filled up on friday night when utica faces off against laval in game two there will be a game two uh there may be a game three on saturday but the fact is these two teams are going to play a game in laval and utica and the winner of that series is going on to play Toronto, which gets a bye in the first round. So I want you to keep that in mind. In the Toronto Toronto series, whoever goes to play to Toronto, Laval or Utica, will then face the winner of the Syracuse-Rochester series. And then that team will have won the division and then go on to play the winner of the next division, of course, in, uh, in uh, the Atlantic. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. Okay, let's uh, quickly now, let's look at, just real closely, the win against Laval that took place on the 17th of March. That win was a 3-2 score. It was a total team effort on that night. And I think one thing is interesting in that game is that the Comets had uh, very, very good goaltending from Isaac Poulter, who's one of the two goalies here. Isaac Poulter won that game, making 33 saves. He was fantastic. He played that game against Caden Primo, who I assume, by the way, will be their starting goalie in the playoffs. On that night, the goals came from Alex Holtz and Brian Hallinan. That's also interesting because we do expect Alex Holtz and Brian Hallinan to be in the game, uh, to be to be in that game when they dropped the puck on Wednesday night in Laval. The two men who scored in that game, along with Arnie Talvetti, who, of course, is regularly in the lineup, but Holtz and Hallinan, who have been out of the uh, of the lineup due to injuries and illness, 
they're coming back, and they're expected to be in that game on Wednesday. So that changes things for Utica and gives them two kids who are, of course, very, very good at scoring goals and scoring them often. So that'll be a big, big boost for the Comets getting both those men back in the lineup. And, um, well, as you know, goal scoring is a premium in the playoffs. Well, let's turn our attention in finality now to what happened in that game on Saturday night, which will be a game that I don't think any of us are going to forget for a long time. The Comets were down in the contest against Syracuse on the road. Now, we told you that game didn't really mean anything in the, in hindsight in the standings, but it meant something for morale, getting a win in comeback fashion after being down in that game to come back and win in overtime, tying it late, two goals with an empty net uh, to, you know, to, our, uh, to have an extra attacker on. I mean, that's really something. The Comets in the contest... Um, just try to claw and scrape their way back in there, and they did. Goals by uh, Nolan Stevens, Shimo Nemitz, and Graham Clark in the third period in particular. But we'll turn our attention to the goal scored by Zach Hayes. That came during the second period. His first goal as a Utica Comet made it a 1-1 game. Talviti is all over the defense and now forced a turnover. There's Tice Thompson back for Talviti in the far corner. He'll throw it around the wall to an open Robbie Russo. And then Hayes, wrist shot, scores! It's 1-1. The point shot by Hayes found its way in. It may have deflected. I think it's Hayes' goal. And this baby's all locked up. Both teams score early in the first and second period, respectively. First Syracuse, then Utica. The goal by Hayes made it 1-1, and he thought, all right, 1-1, you're rolling in the right direction. Uh, but, uh, you know, it didn't go their way. A couple of pounces went against them, but they would head to the third period. Things were looking bleak, and then a power play goal, of all things, got them going, Nolan Stevens. He got checked by Jones. Swept around. Nolan Stevens is there. He'll walk up to the blue line. Now to Schmelzer, to the right-wing side, to Perron. To Schmelzer, who shoots safely. Legacy rebound chance. They score. It's a power play goal. Nolan Stevens drove it home. And it's 3-2. The Comets deficit is only one. What a huge goal on the power play. Huge goal. Huge goal on the power play, no doubt. And that really sparked everything. And then the moment I don't think anybody's really going to forget is ultimately what happened at the end there with the overtime game winner. And it was Riley Walsh. I mean, Riley Walsh in overtime after Isaac Poulter had just made one spectacular save. Graham Clark had a breakaway opportunity. He didn't score. But the comments take over, and Riley Walsh gets it done. 4-4 with 155 remaining in overtime. Schmelzer. Has to delay a bit. He's got Graham Clark with him and Riley Walsh now has the puck. Walsh going wide. Walsh to the middle. Walsh shooting. He scores! The Comets win the game in overtime and complete the comeback. 5-4. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, it was. That was just a moment that I was just, I could not believe what I was watching because that game looked, it really did look out of hand. But again, on our final note here before we say goodbye and we head uh, into the, uh, the end of Comets Insider, this team has the ability to lift themselves out of bad spots and do it and make it not look easy, but, but really have an incredible effort. And they're never out of games. They're never out of the game. So even if they're down four to one or four to two, third period, you're thinking it's all over. 
They just need a little spark, and that little spark ends up propelling this team a great deal. And I do think that this will be a, a, a very emotion-filled building in Laval on Wednesday. It should have that same emotion and same feel on Friday, which will be a whiteout. Bring your white, white T-shirts, white jerseys, whatever you got. Wear those. Well, let's, let's try to bring that same atmosphere that comes into the building every night, but with even more energy. So it'll be a it'll be a big game, but it will be a game that'll be one team on the brink of elimination. Whoever steps in the building on Friday, either Lavelle or Utica, will be on the brink of elimination, and that should give it all the intensity it needs. And whoever goes on to play Toronto, I got to tell you, may have an easy night because Toronto's really, really struggling, and they really they fell down, they plummeted big time at the end of the regular season for various reasons. So we'll see how it all plays out. But for now, we'll say good night. Comets Insider will be back next week, regardless of the outcome. We'll have Comets Insider for you. Join us then.